This is the ActiveX Back Show from Edinburgh, Scotland's vibrant capital. Hosted by award-winning registered osteopath, author and all-round pain guru, Gavin Routledge. If you want relief or prevention of lower back pain or sciatica, and you want to be healthier, keep listening. The following programme should not be taken as medical advice, but for informational purposes only. Friends, sufferers, fellow humans, lend me your ears so that I may whisper into them in order to ease and prevent your lower back pain and sciatica, and just as importantly, to improve your health. Today's episode is entitled, What Causes Lower Back Pain? The million dollar question, uh, to add to the other million dollar questions we've already answered on this podcast. Now, in this episode, you will learn why the misaligned vertebra or bone out theory is wrong and how it's holding you back, why diagnoses are often unhelpful and what is better, and finally, what the real causes of lower back pain are. So if you want to skip to the meat, go ahead, uh, skip ahead. However, you will miss many important points in the build-up to that point. So firstly, what about this bone-out theory? I have lost count, having been a practitioner for 28 years, specialising in lower back pain and sciatica. I have lost count of the number of times people have referred to this, uh, their spine being out of line. Oh, I think I slipped a bone out. But this theory is generally has been perpetuated by other healthcare practitioners, especially those in the physical therapies. So why is it wrong? Well, it's simply wrong because there's no evidence that having a bone out of line or indeed a group of bones out of line is related to symptoms. And in its extreme form, as an example, there's lots of evidence that people are walking around with disc prolapses and degenerative changes in their spines without any pain at all. So if you can have a fully prolapsed disc without any pain, should it make any difference if one vertebra is marginally misaligned compared with its neighbours? No, it doesn't. And as an example of this, because I know we all like stories, uh, many years ago I was in a shopping mall. I don't know why I call it a mall. I find it sounds like a precinct. Shopping precinct is a very old term. Mall sounds quite American, and we are Scottish and British here. So, um, anyway, I was in a shopping mall and waiting for someone a bit of time to kill, and I saw a physical therapist. The profession shall be unnamed. I don't want to single out any individual profession. But it was a physical therapist with a stand-up offering free spinal checks. And I thought, well, you know, I'm intrigued as to what this other healthcare professional is doing, what their modus operandi is. And so I went along and sat in a small queue, which was moving quite rapidly, to have my spine checked. And um, again, I won't go into the detail of what that involved. It certainly didn't involve x-rays, just pretty much involved me standing up and having somebody run their hand down my back. And I was told um, that I had a number of problems in my spine, all of them to do with bones being misaligned. But don't worry, if I signed up today, I could get 10% off a course of 10 treatments, which would sort me out. Now, 
Not only was I not convinced I had any bones out, but I certainly had no pain, and at no point had the practitioner asked me if I had any pain. So even if I did have bones out, which I reckon I didn't, they certainly weren't correlated with pain. So bone-out theory discredited across all professions and any decent practitioner will not be talking to you about the bone being out of line. Now, hands up in embarrassment here. Over my years in practice, it has not been uncommon for me to let that uh, discussion slide. So if somebody has come to me and said, oh, I've got this bone out in the middle of my back and I need it manipulated and I'll feel much better and that's what's happened in the past. If you have a very strong belief about something, I often will just let that one slide. I will make a full assessment and determine whether manipulative techniques or other techniques are appropriate. And after discussion with the client, we'll decide how to proceed. But if you've been to a practitioner and told them that you have a bone out, but um, um, they've continued to treat you, the important thing is, do you feel better afterwards? But perhaps as importantly, it's really vital that the physical therapy professions do not perpetuate this myth of the bone being out. So, moving along from the bone out theory. Why are diagnoses often unhelpful? And what is better? Well, this is closely related to the bone out theory. And as I mentioned earlier, lots of people are walking around with imperfections. So if we sent you for an MRI or an X-ray, we would see that things are not straight, uh, that perhaps you have some degenerative changes in your lower back. You may even have the odd disc bulge or prolapsed disc, but you have no symptoms. Uh, now, maybe not you might not, because you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't have symptoms. However, there are lots of people walking around with these imperfections and yet no symptoms. So making what we would call a structural diagnosis is often unhelpful, particularly because it makes you very focused on something physically being wrong with your back. And the research shows that providing a structural diagnosis tends to lead to a longer term, a longer period of suffering. Now, this is after all other variables have been taken into account. So, um, sorry, getting a bit sciencey there, but basically what I'm saying is that after all other things have been considered, it's important not to focus too much on structural deformities, misalignments, and all these other possibilities in your back. What is much more helpful, here it comes, is having what I describe as a functional label. So a functional label is a label that describes what is wrong with you the way your back is working. And therefore it's empowering because it helps you to decide and us as clinicians to decide what you should and should not be doing. So here is an example of a functional label. And this is probably one of the most commonly used in my practice because it's one of the most commonly seen collection of symptoms and patterns that we see. So a functional label could be acute recurrent flexion intolerant lumbago. Wow, what a mouthful. 
Now, let's break that down. Acute. Acute simply means less than six weeks. So you've had the symptom for less than six weeks. People often think acute refers to severity, and you might use it for that means, but we as practitioners have, have a, a format. So acute means less than six weeks, subacute means between six and 12 weeks, and chronic means more than 12 weeks. So acute, subacute, and chronic refer to the duration that you've had the symptom. So there we go, acute, recurrent. Now recurrent means you've had more than one episode of this pain in the last year, in addition to the one you're currently having. So more than one previous episode in the last 12 months. So recurrent. Non-recurrent, we tend not to use because, uh, you know, if it's not recurrent, we just leave the word out. So acute recurrent, flexion intolerance. Now, flexion intolerant means your back doesn't like bending forwards. Flexion means bending forwards. Intolerant means it doesn't like it, i.e. it produces more pain. And this is very common in people who sit, because when you sit, your back tends to drop into relative flexion. It tends to bend forwards. And either while you're sitting or when you get up from the chair, it will be more painful. That means your back is flexion intolerant. And lumbago is an old, old term that simply means pain in your lower back. So there we have it, acute recurrent flexion intolerant lumbago, i.e. you've had it for less than six weeks, you've had it before in the last 12 months, it's worse for bending forwards, and it's just a pain in your lower back. I say just meaning as opposed to anywhere else, as well as your lower back. So that is a functional label, and it helps us as practitioners to know what techniques to use to help you to get better, and it also, most importantly, informs us as to what to tell you you should and should not be doing. Okay, so there we go. We've done the misaligned vertebra bone-out theory is wrong and how it's holding you back and why diagnoses are often unhelpful and what is better. Finally, what is the real cause of lower back pain? Now, for this, I would refer you back to an early episode in the podcast, one of those first six episodes where I introduced the cliff of pain theory. And if you haven't started at number one in this podcast, but you are a sufferer of lower back pain, I would really encourage you to go back and start at the beginning. Start at episode number one, where I hope you will get huge value from episodes one to six. So the cliff of pain um, simply means you are traveling along fine, 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 fine in life, and then all of a sudden you fall off that cliff. Now, the thing that knocks you off the cliff is merely a trigger. It's the, the last thing that happened. And generally, it isn't really the cause of lower back pain because it's something you've done hundreds, maybe, of times before without back pain. The real causes are the things that have pushed you closer to the edge, those risk factors. Okay, so the risk factors for lower back pain, the first one is having had it before, which is why it's so important that we we note that this is recurrent. So if you've had lower back pain before, you are at a much increased risk of having it again. Second biggest risk factor for lower back pain is lack of physical activity. And then we have loading. So in terms of loading, I don't necessarily mean carrying extra weight. I just mean carrying any weight, including your own body weight. 
So loading can be split down into heavy loading, so what we call peak loading, sustained, you stay in one position for a long period of time, or repetitive, you keep doing the same thing again and again. And it may be for you, not saying it is, but for 72% of our client base, sitting is a big factor here. Sitting is sustained, you do it for a long period, and it's repetitive. For many people, they'll do it five days a week and more, seven days a week. So loading is a big issue. Stress, especially work-related stress, is a risk factor for lower back pain. And mood, anxiety and depression. For more on that, check out episodes five and six, on which I elaborate an equation for pain and it explains how mood fits into the severity of pain that you experience. Sleep can be a factor or lack of sleep. Being very overweight is a risk factor for lower back pain. Being over 40, some of us, uh, certainly me, over 40, a risk factor. And then finally, poor trunk muscle endurance, uh, whether you want to call that core stability or just that clunky term, poor trunk muscle endurance. These are all risk factors for lower back pain. Okay, I think I've wittered on long enough in this episode. I hope it's provided lots of value for you. Please, as I said, if you have not listened to the first six episodes of the podcast, go back, start at number one. That's where the foundation really is for understanding your lower back problem or sciatica, whichever or both you have. Finally, little request, give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, Google. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the ActiveX Backs show. If you found this helpful, please pass along our web address to your friends and colleagues, active-x.co.uk. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes. If you have any questions related to lower back pain or sciatica, send them in and Gavin will aim to answer them in future episodes. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at ActiveX Backs.